This is Foster McCurley. Welcome to Whose We Are. These podcasts are a series of discussions about spirituality, stewardship, and social justice. We will talk here about what we do with our lives once we appropriate to ourselves the wondrous gifts God has given us and acknowledge that we truly belong to God. Check out whoseweare.com for a wide range of discussions on these issues and also wrestlingwiththeword.com for comments on the biblical passages assigned in the Revised Common Lectionary for Sunday morning worship. This is Episode 4 of Whose We Are. My guest for this podcast is Yusuf Chaman, the director of the Oriental Rug Program at 10,000 Villages, which is the largest fair trade organization in North America. A native of Lahore, Pakistan, Yusuf has spent many years learning firsthand from skilled artisans the ancient art of oriental rugs. In those years, Yusuf has seen the difference that fair trade makes in the lives of artisans. A business and economics graduate of Punjab University in Lahore, Yusuf blends his passion about oriental rugs and social justice. He walks onto the sales floor at 10,000 villages and brings that twofold passion with him as he talks about how fair trade empowers the artisans, women and men alike in the villages of Pakistan. Yusuf, who is fluent in Urdu, English, Punjabi and sign language, gives frequent seminars on how fair trade in Pakistan impacts even global relations and lays the building blocks for peace. He is an articulate speaker, passionate about his work, and delights crowds with his knowledge of oriental rugs and the people and culture of Pakistan. Yusuf, thank you very, very much for your willingness to be interviewed uh, on behalf of uh, the Fair Trade Rug Organizations, and I, I, I really want to ask you a whole bunch of questions because I'm very excited about uh, what you do and what the whole organization is about. So, c- can you actually explain to us what is the program and and who started it? Well, first of all, thank you, Foster, for giving me this opportunity. The program is about making sure that the artisan is fairly paid for their wages, for their work, and that the artisans living in the villages continue to live in their own home, in their own communities, and without having to walk away from such rich history that might be there for more than a thousand years, and can earn a living wage and support their family for three meals, for education, for the basic living, and then also be able to thrive as a community rather than having to migrate somewhere else. And this program was started in the village of Darinwala. Uh, it's about northeast of Pakistan, and very close to the border between India and Pakistan, by Reverend Chaman, who grew up in that village and was a rug knotter himself as well, but also realized that there is a greater potential the artisans have uh, for making a good living. Plus also the main problem they have been dealing with is the, the access to the market so they can receive a fair income for their work. And so this program was started mostly within 10 families back in the 60s, which has now grown to be about 850 plus families. 
I certainly think it's important to say that uh, Reverend Chauman is indeed your father and is an extremely delightful man and very well respected in Pakistan in, uh, in many, many circles. He's done a great job in that regard. I think his work between starting the uh, fair trade idea in Pakistan many years ago, actually I've seen the letter that he wrote many, many years ago as a sign of commitment and had some other uh, missionaries sort of vouch for it, like saying that from there today on, this program would only serve the fair trade cause. My goal would be to make sure that anywhere where there are artisans are in need, we're going to get there instead of the artisans have to find us. So that's been from day one of the approach for this program that you get to the artists because many times the artisans are sitting in small villages. They may not even have the money to take a bus ride to find the place, organization who would pay them a fair, fair income. So the idea of reaching the artisan is really serves uh, the artisans and the whole mission of this program. Uh, Yusuf, when this program started, and you had indicated it started back in the 1960s, how did the lives of the people uh, begin to change uh, even then? The first and the most important thing is that many of these artisans who knew the skill of rug making, yet it's a immensely skilled work, something that you don't just learn overnight. And many times it's inherited from one generation to the next. And so for Artisans who are immensely skilled with a product that can easily last 100 plus years and make everything look beautiful around your house and warm up the house serve a very practical purpose as an art form. To see the artisans struggling economically for the very basics from three meals a day to have living conditions that would allow to go through the months and season uh, that usually last about a couple months and not have to worry about their their house being collapsed, not have to worry about their walls collapsing. Even the streets, I remember many years ago as I, I was growing up and went to visit my grandparents, the streets, the moment it rained, pretty much for the next week, it would be very muddy situation. And so to walk through streets, to do your business, daily business, to get somewhere was next to impossible. And so to think that artisan can actually carry a rug and get to the marketplace and sell it for a good price and come back home was next to impossible. And many of the artisans not having uh, any amount of education made it even challenging because in the first place to know what truly is a fair wage for them. And if they did, let's say if I as an artisan asked for $1,000 for a uh, rug that I made. But in reality, I have no clue if, if I received $1,000 because I can't even count to 1000 Most artisans I remember listening to my grandfather, people would know from 1 to 20. If you can buy anything for 520s, that was the way to go. But now after the uh, partition between India and Pakistan and the British left, the economy changed. Each country had its own currency also. That also had to, that uh, brought a huge impact on how the prices has to be. So for artisans who had lack of education, lack of experience, the ability to reach out to the marketplace and negotiate for a good price and at the same time learn 
what is the next thing they need to produce? What is the next rug they should be making that would sell in the market, even from size, colors, and everything? And to give an idea how rugs have worked historically, today I can tell if a rug was made back in 1950s or if a rug was made in, uh, in uh, let's say, about 100 years ago. The main uh, reason is that either the colors or even the sizes would change. Today, the rugs have a very different sizes or standards and even the color combinations that didn't used to exist before. So for an artist, in, they need that information about a year and a half advance if they're going to make a an 8 by 10, 6 by 9, or a 9 by 12 rug. You need to you need to have that information for colors and, and size and everything. And it's not like making a rug. It's a huge monetary commitment also. You make one rug wrong, that could put you off economically for years. And so for an artisan, they could not afford to take a risk. And many times, many rug artisans did lose a lot of money because they produced a rug that didn't bring the right price for the, from the market. And if it happened more than once or twice, you pretty much end up giving the rug making uh, trade because pretty much ate up all your resources. So, so right off the bat, it was making a tremendous difference in the lives of people. Uh, now that uh, that these rugs are selling globally rather than uh, in various cities in Pakistan, how has the uh, situation changed at all for you and as, as well as for those who make the rugs? I think the first and the most important thing that happened is the artisan did not have to go to the marketplace. It was a scary thing. It used to be that as my father made the commitment to the seminary education, many of the artisans were finding themselves needing to have somebody guide them to the marketplace, including some of his own family members. So he made a commitment to his family that he would come once a month back from his uh, seminary and take the whole group to be able to sell these rugs and negotiate a good price, a fair price for everybody, and then make sure that everybody received the right price for, for that and be able to go back to their village in a timely manner. And so starting from that, the artisans were able to continue to live in the villages, have three meals, and now we're talking over the course of decades. People are able to send their children to school because in their own villages, there are schools. And those schools were started by this program if there was no school nearby. And so education was a priority from the beginning because without education, you can't bring the change. And that is pretty much on the mindset of every artisan, every family. They have realized the value of education. So people want to make sure that their children are equipped with good education. They would like to see them just as a successful human being as anybody else in the world. Not just have a high school education, go beyond high school to become doctors, engineers, and, and a good rug nodder because rug nodding is a respectable skill. And as long the artisan can receive a fair income, it is a livable art form. Exactly right. I was just going to say that. It, uh, it certainly is not only a skill, it's truly an art. It's just uh, 
amazing. The, the variety of, uh, of designs and rugs and the quality is just exquisite. So it, it truly is, is art that, uh, that people put on the floor or hang on their walls. When this started back in the 1960s, uh, there were a few families involved. Uh, how, many, how many families are involved at the present time? Now there are over 850 families that are part of this program. The program has slowly grown in different regions of Pakistan, not just in the northeast part of Pakistan, all the way up to the northwest as well as the southwest. And the variety of artisans that we're working with are mostly in remote villages, villages where people would not find alternative form of income source. Your main income uh, alternative is farming or brick making or for women especially it's only embroidery that's our goal through this program so starting with 10 families and now there's more than 850 families in our program have also started other reaching out to other artisans who make other items as well i believe that this program could grow significantly in the coming years the reality is the first stage is political situation. The moment the political situation goes out of control, the economics also dwindle really bad. And in this situation, we're reaching out to artisans, some that lost their homes during the earthquake, and that was in 2005, October. But this is also a region where there's a lot of resources available for precious and semi-precious stones. And most of these artisans used to cater to the uh, tourist market, which totally has depleted because of the political situation in the region. And so now the artisans are either forced to leave their home, their communities, and migrate somewhere else, or find alternatives. And alternatives are not very easy because no tourism is taking place, no business person is coming into their neighborhood to buy buy the items they used to make and also nobody's feeding in the uh, creative ideas so they can make the next product it starts to have a ripple effect in the entire society and that also jeopardizes the ability to have education ability to have a good peaceful relationship even with your neighbors and so having economic stability uh, creates a peace among community, creates a better understanding among community. So the goal has been wherever the need uh, is there, if we can find a market for it, we reach out and provide the resources to the artisans, develop a program, and then uh, market the products through 10,000 villages in North America. Uh, Yusuf, now, as I understand it, when the uh, group was first formed and until maybe last year, the uh the artisan group was called Jaxus, and its name has now changed. Would you uh, tell us about the change of name and, and why this new name was selected? The name Jaxus Oriental Rugs have been there for more than 20 years, and that would have been our third name for the organization. The name Jaxus didn't speak to the mission that the whole program stands for, so we changed our name to Bunyad. And Bunyad is spelled B-U-N-Y-A-A-D. Uh, the whole idea of this program is building strong foundations that a house can stand on and weather all the storms and earthquakes and everything. So we believe that through fair trade, we built those strong foundations that allow artisans to continue to live in their villages and deal with the day-to-day -day life challenges and ability to work out the issues and thrive as a stronger society. 
So the word bunyad means foundation. Well, you certainly had a lot of experience with foundation as an architectural form um, after the uh, earthquake was so devastating. Uh, obviously, the artisan group was was very supportive and very active in uh, helping people rebuild their homes, starting with foundations. That's where we actually got the name because as we visited, especially myself, as I was visiting that region with other people, we found that basically most of the homes had collapsed due to weak foundations. And in a matter of 16 seconds, 84,000 people had lost their lives and two and a half million were uh, were left homeless. And to see the value of strong foundation only if they had like two or three hundred more dollars in their pocket to strengthen the foundation of each household. More than half the people would have survived. And so to realize the value, a little bit more money, how it builds a uh, foundation for a community, for a village, for uh, individual artisan, that was very important to us. So the name really spoke to the mission that we believe in because we found out that None of the artisans who have been involved with the rug program over the course of years had reported any damage to their home. And if any damage did get reported, it was a minor crack in the wall. Pakistan being the meeting point for three uh, tectonic plates, it makes sense that you build a house with a strong foundation that can weather the earthquakes. But many, many of these people did not have resources for it. And I'm, and I'm talking in the... When we're talking dollar terms, we're talking only two to four hundred dollars, and so it's not a very high price to save somebody's life. And so when we're talking in the in terms of fair trade, if artisans can make ten, twenty percent more, or thirty percent more, that would make a very large impact on a artisan as well as a community. And in the end, what what happens is the artisan are able to make a very high quality product because. For every single artisan, they know that in a lifetime, there's only a handful of rugs they're going to make. Because if a if single artisan gets to start working on a 9 by 12 rug with 500 knots per square inch, in a lifetime, they can only make about 14 to 16 rugs. And so for somebody to know that I'm only going to leave so many rugs as my recognition to the world, they want to make sure that they make the best quality product because it's not just their product, it's the community they represent, it's the culture they represent, and it's a history being written to the knot. So people try to make sure that they make the best quality rug as long they are paid a fair wage. And that's one of the difference because artisans are paid by the knots per square inch, so the artisan does not have to worry about what if I put 500 knots per square inch in rug what if I put 800 knots per square inch in a rug? They're going to be fully paid for that work. And that's a very nice and very justified way because it's the artisan determining what is a fair wage. That whole fair wage and fair trade connection is extremely important in the lives of more than 800 of those persons. Um, how actually, though, uh, Yusuf, did, did the Bunyad become connected with 10,000 villages? 10,000 Villages, being a fair trade organization, was looking for artisans around the world and as their, their goal is to reach out to the artisan. Jexus, 
as a form of name and the new name was already established entity because was was working with other third trade organizations in in Europe as well as in uh, North America as a fair trade entity sitting on both sides it was a natural partnership that took place so now it's been more than 24 years that 10,000 villages and Buniad has worked together having a product that really spoke to the to the mission and speaking to the idea of long-term relationship because through fair trade one of the most important thing take place is the relationship the long-term relationship well, that's a powerful connection that is Yusuf, five years ago, you took Janine and me to Pakistan to see firsthand how the rugs are made. How do you see the impact that visits like that have on various people who visit the artisans sitting at looms in their homes or other people involved in the process like the shepherds and those who shear the sheep and others who trim the pile and wash the finished rugs? How, how do you see that affecting people? It's a great way to bring people together in the first place because we believe that we have so many commonalities with each other around the world. I found that pretty much people eat rice pudding around the world and so it's the simplest thing and yet if you talk to somebody in a village, they they might think that that's the only place people eat rice pudding. And so the idea that we have so many ways commonalities with each other it's very important that we get to meet in person and share our ideas and also get to see our day-to-day life and if you look at an artisan household they have a kitchen where they cook food so the idea that just the basic living is very same the difference is a we're sitting in a different parts of the world we might be speaking a different language we might be eating a different type of food but the goals are pretty similar one of our goal is always to see how people could be linked because in generally we found that people when people are linked people to people that's the best way you can bring better understanding in this world and artisans otherwise may not have any opportunity to get to know or meet somebody from outside the world and so it is valuable as much as it's for somebody here for the artisan there too because then they get to see people who are using their rugs, their product, because it's a pride for them, what they have accomplished. And to know that somebody had valued their, their work, it really energizes them for the next best thing they want to create. And uh, as I said, in general, just the people-to-people relationship is very important to people in the communities of Pakistan. So to get to know each other from that point of view and get to hear how their product is faring in somebody's household and what people really appreciate on a first hand, that gives ideas to artisan who does not know what the conditions of the houses look like. In Pakistan village, village house could be just a mud house or could be a brick house. And so to the, in their mind, that is how a house may look like. So to know that a house could also be built with uh, totally wood, and then uh, the floor is also wood, where the rug looks very beautiful, beyond the natural beauty the rug possesses, it just comes to a very beautiful surrounding. It, it gives the art- ideas to artisans, and as a recent effort, to 
bring this better understanding, we printed a book that shows the pictures of different homes. And to have a person like you and Janine, they're standing there and meeting with Khalida in her house and getting to hear first-hand story about the creation of her rug that she made and you happen to uh, own that rug was a wonderful way to link the artisan and the consumer. And so for an artisan, they had a, a, a bigger appreciation for fair trade, not just the income, it's also the connection directly with the people on the other side. So there's a, there's a dignity that takes place in that process because then people feel that somebody values not just my work, also me as a human being. And so they find a lot of dignity in that process. So one of the, one of the main goals of fair trade is to provide dignity to artisans. I appreciate your comments about the mutual benefit of that from the perspective of the visitor as well as from the artisan. Uh, it's a thrill for us to uh, to walk past uh, Kalida's uh, rug and and to see her her photo, which we took when we were in her home, uh, on the table beside her rug. And, and so it's impossible to look at that simply as a rug or even simply as a work of art. But this is a representation of Kalida right here on the, on the floor of our home. And that's a, a powerful connection across the world. And it's difficult not to think of her and, and many others uh, that we met on that trip. It, it's a very personal thing. And in fact, as we, we, we visited quite a number of uh, families who, who make the rugs on that occasion. Could you tell us uh, a little bit, uh, Yosef, about a particular artisan or family that, that you think best describes the people who are part of Bunyad? Let's start with Praveen, for example, in the village of Babylon. This particular family, basically in a very small village, that otherwise nobody would even try to stop in this village because the number of homes that are there are no more than 20 to 30 homes. So it's a very, very small village. So obviously you're not going to have a school, you're not going to have many opportunities. And for Praveen to move from from the city of Islamabad after losing a leg to cancer would have very little or no opportunity of education or opportunity of job or earning income. So to move back to village only to make a connection with the organization Bunyad through some uh, friends or family members and uh, find yourself with loom and materials and uh, some money given to you brought to your home makes a huge impact because today not only Praveen is earning income, her husband has a job, plus all her, her three kids are receiving education. And so those are basic things that would otherwise be unnoticed or would not be taken care uh, in a village like that. So you'll have three children who had potential to become any, anybody they can be, a doctor, engineer, all of a sudden would be left uh, uneducated just because there was not enough opportunity for the parents. And that is the beginning of the child labor practices. That's also the beginning of people being mistreated as adults uh, for a fair price. And so when there's a fair wage, it encourages artisans to start thinking of settling down in that village and start thinking of, of the future. 
The other example would be in the in the village of uh, Langa, for example, where this one family has made the commitment to say we're going to provide education through this work. They worked for more than now roughly what 22 years with the rug program, and uh, from day one their priority has been education. So their oldest son out of the four children have become a doctor now. Now, this is a family had no education, and now their oldest son has become a doctor. And for this village that sits only three miles from the Indian-Pakistani border, there will be never any infrastructure built there because it's too close to the border. And between Pakistan and India, the constant political tension would never encourage government to think to put any schooling and so these are the kind of, kind of artisans that we're talking about and very positive examples taking places in the in these villages where otherwise people could easily be taken advantage of or given the wrong direction somebody could become uh, a very, instead of being a very productive member of society a very creative member of the society you could totally go into the wrong direction in that part of the world I remember that conversation in uh, his courtyard very well, and uh, I was particularly struck by a comment he made right after that statement about the letter. Uh, he said, if my son did not have a pen in his hand, it's possible he would have a gun in his hand. And it, it struck me as, uh, as not only, uh, therefore, a, a, an advantage for that individual family, uh, or even advantage uh, for the community in which you live, but for the globe, that, yes. that this is a way to really attack terrorism, to actually treat people with honor, uh, enable them to, to have educations for their children, and, and on and on, they're just uh, benefits galore. But uh, I'll never forget that statement because it, it really did fly in the face of many of our approaches to terrorism to indicate that education and dignity and honor are critical components as they start with a family, go to a community, move to the country, and ultimately uh, encompass the globe. Exactly. And I think, uh, Foster, I would mention that this recent uh, statement that was uh, something I read in the newspaper was also made by NATO after they had been there in Afghanistan and other countries. They made basically, in their meeting in Brussels, they brought the idea that 95% of the people who become part of the uh, uh, terrorist activities are there because of lack of job opportunities. So they don't have any political motivation. It's purely economics. So if you give somebody the chance of having the basic needs you are eliminating most of the political or these terroristic possibilities. Yes, and I think that's the real beauty of uh, fair trade organizations uh, in a variety of places and, uh, and a variety of artisans around the world. Exactly. Now, how, how actually, Yusuf, does, does an artisan become a member of Bunyad? So the first purpose is to walk into that village and the group of artisans, it's always not just one family invites you. It's always a group of artisans who are sitting there basically every year applying and saying, we would like to be part of this. The first qualification comes in the form of, can we, uh, what can we afford? Uh, so sometimes different villages are chosen in that case. But in reality, 
the first and the most important thing is that who is the neediest. Uh, that is the most important thing for, for fair trade or for the program like this. So walking into village, the idea is that if there's only 20 families who have looms out of 100 to 300 families, goal is to reach out to all 20 of them. I mean, in the case of Halwan, for example, there are 90 families that make rugs. And only one family does not work with the fair trade because they have their own family uh, rug business. But otherwise... 99% of them work for the fair trade program. And yet, when this program started, only six looms started in that village, and now 90 of them are all working through Bunyad. Now, are there some cases, Yosef, when it's necessary to help a person improve his or her skills uh, in order to become part of the group and produce products that will be desired? Uh, in generally, even the artisans who do make rugs do go through about one to two year training actually even when they're making rug and that's an investment that the artisan group makes in in an artisan and that means providing them with the experience from uh, from the uh, supervisors uh, rug makers and giving them the high quality materials designers so number of things come to the artisan, not just the loom, not just the fair income. It's also all that assistance as a package that comes available to the artisan. And then there's one who would say, I don't know how to make rugs, but I would like to really earn a fair income. So some, some do become rug knotters. They are able to work with their neighbor. And, and that's the reality that when people are receiving fair income, they want to do just as much good for within their own community and help somebody else too. But they need to see that example first. Otherwise, there's so much the example that where artisan constantly is being a, taken advantage of. Hence, they tend to build a shell around them, which means they are not willing to share any of their ideas to their neighbor or anybody else. And so you're living independently in this village that your ancestors have lived there for more than a thousand years. So the idea through fair trade is that people are willing to work as a community and willing to share their ideas with each other that otherwise might be as a family trade secret. What, what is the future? What, what does the RUG program want to accomplish in the future for the RUG artisans in Pakistan? One of the main goals of this program is making sure that people get to live in their communities. And it's a very important uh, statement because what that does is that when uh, local villages are developed, that there's a variety of jobs taking place in those villages. People don't have to think of migrating to the cities, which is a typical problem in, in many developing countries. And so the idea that if we can make that change in the village with the small price to pay, that to me is very valuable. And so the goal is that a, that we provide fair income to the artisans in these villages and that we're able to reach to many artisans as possible, but also that we have a sustainable development taking place in these villages because through sustainable development, people continue to live as a one unit. They start thinking of, okay, how do we build a school for our children? How do we have a hospital in our community? Because now they made this place as a permanent home. One of, one of the great benefits of this program is that through fair wage, people don't have to think about moving to the cities. And instead, we're finding a reverse migration 
that is a very unique uh, situation because traditionally many countries are constantly trying to find programs that would encourage people to continue to live in the villages. Through fair trade, it very simply gets taken care of. There's equal opportunity for both men and women. So you have more than one member of your family earning income, provide enough for the family that they can not only live in the village, they can actually develop their village. So we're talking where people can start building homes that are permanent structure, that are streets that are paved, there are streets that have, they have a proper sanitation, uh, just a basic health, healthy condition. And then people start thinking of school, education, to other health facilities. So just the constant growth that takes place because of that. And this is where we feel fair trade is sort of the permanent and the complete solution to many of the uh, political and economical challenges that around the globe many artisans deal with. The future is really what Bunyat has been doing in the past, and that is helping people find sustainability, develop communities, and so not only to increase the economy, but to improve the quality of life, both for individuals as well as families, communities, and others. No, thank you very much, uh, Yusuf, for taking the time to talk with me, but, but also thank you very much for the mission that you so faithfully pursue on behalf of these many, many families. Thank you for the opportunity, Foster. Before signing off, I want to thank Lisa Bell for providing the music with her song, It's All About Love. I also want to give special thanks to my daughter, Dana Gillen, who serves as my producer for these podcasts. Until next time then, go in peace, serve the Lord.